Good morning. Good to see all of you. And as usual, it is a, a privilege to to preach uh, from the Word of God. Uh, thank you, Mike, for uh, covering for me last last time that I was supposed to preach. I ended up getting uh, sick with COVID, but by the grace of God, here we are. Um, today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13, the end of chapter 13, starting in verse 53, and we're also getting into chapter 14 a little bit, and I am reading from the ESV Children's Bible. So I forgot my Bible, and this is the Bible that that I found at at mom and dad's, Uh, but I think it is fitting because Matthew talks so much about the kingdom of God. And one of the things that Matthew says about the kingdom of God is that it is to children that it belongs. The kingdom of God belongs to children. He says, Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to become like a child. So I thought it was a, it was fitting to bring this Bible. It's also really great. I might use this Bible for preaching. Look, it's all text. It'll, it has almost no footnotes, no nothing. It's, it's a really good preaching Bible. So thank you, Mom. Um, let's read from uh, Matthew 13, starting in verse 53. And I'm going to ask you to stand, uh, if, if you are able, for the reading of God's word. Matthew 13, 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. At that time, chapter 14, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. And one more verse just for good measure. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat 
to a desolate place by himself. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the message of your kingdom. And God, we pray that even now we would be, we would become like children to receive the words of your kingdom, to receive the message that is here for us. Please open our hearts. Please open our minds. Please fill us with your spirit to understand what your spirit has inspired. Please challenge us. Please uh, encourage us through your word. Please give me the right words to speak to your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew talks a lot about the kingdom of God. In fact, you could say that the main the main theme of or or the main topic that Matthew is addressing is is really the kingdom of God and, and its king, which is Jesus. The kingdom of God is is uh this concept is is actually mentioned about fifty times in the book of Matthew. Um some of the things that we learn about the kingdoms are some of the things that you've already seen in the book of Matthew. Uh, uh, all of the parables are basically about the kingdom of God. Um, remember some of the things that Jesus taught in the parables. The kingdom starts like a small mustard seed or like a little bit of leaven in the dough. Or the kingdom of God uh, is kind of like, like someone fishing and casting a net and just a bunch of fish being caught and then being separated, or the kingdom of God is like like a field where there are weeds mixed with wheat, and then they grow together, and it is not until the end that they are separated. So uh, uh, Matthew really wa- really is wanting us, the readers, to see, oh, wow, okay, he's talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus is all about the kingdom of God. This is the message that he is proclaiming. Now, here in, in our section in Matthew 1353 this is actually the beginning of a whole new section in the book of matthew um but it is an interesting beginning to a section especially one where where the kingdom of god has been such a central theme you would expect to be a very triumphant scene right where where the kingdom of god is growing right maybe maybe that was the mustard seed stage and now the kingdom of god is growing and and where you expect a good response to the message of the kingdom. But Matthew decides to open this new section with two episodes of seeming going backwards. With two episodes of, of seeming uh, defeat for the kingdom of God, right? You see that uh, Jesus experiences rejection in his own hometown. And then you see John, one of one of the the first, you know, or or, or John, the the who was the the foreteller of Jesus, who was preaching about the kingdom, who was preaching about Jesus being king. We see him being murdered. So this is an interesting uh, start to a to a whole new section. And I think part of what Matthew is doing here, he has arranged this in such a way that. It's almost like with this new section, he is showing us in in real life, in practical life, what it, what what all of those parables that Jesus just told us look like in real life, and and 
So this kind of tension shouldn't really surprise us because Jesus taught it, taught it very well in the parables, right? In the parables, for example, like the parable of the, of the, uh, um, of the sower, we learn that there is a mixed response to the word of the kingdom, right? Some people receive it and believe it and bear fruit, but some people hear it, but then the, the, the enemy comes and snatch it away or, or the, the tribulations of this world drown the word of the kingdom. In the parable that Jesus just told, we also learn that the kingdom is like a small mustard seed. It starts really small. In the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that those citizens of the kingdom will be persecuted for righteousness sake. He taught that it is the meek, it is the humble who inherit the kingdom of God. So this should not be a surprise to us to find such an opening to this new section. But there is a tension nonetheless. And I think that this tension is all over scripture, right? Because there are passages where the kingdom of God is presented in such powerful and, and, and prevalent terms, right? I mean, we, we think of Ephesians where it says that Jesus is seated at, at the right hand of God or the sermon that, that Peter preaches at Pentecost where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God and he is ruling and he is going to rule until, until God puts all of his enemies under his feet. Or we look back in Matthew and we see Jesus casting out demons by the power of the Spirit, by the power of God. And he says, if I cast spirits by the, by the power of God, it means that the kingdom of God is upon you. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is transfigured before his disciples. The disciples receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and, and the kingdom of God officially kicks in. The church experiences massive growth. The author of Hebrews tells us, that we have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When he is describing this kingdom, he says, we have entered a feastal gathering with angels. I mean, just imagine this extremely triumphalistic picture of the kingdom of God. But then we see that Jesus experienced rejection in his hometown. And we see that John was killed. And we see that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place. In fact, if you think about it, Jesus' ministry started out more public. Jesus' ministry started out more successful. And it became more and more private, right? First, he told the first parables he told to everyone. But eventually, he moved on and only told the parables to his disciples. And then he was rejected in Nazareth. And then John was killed. And it gets to the point where Jesus' ministry almost becomes completely or not completely, but pretty private ministry, right? He withdraws to a quiet place. And then his, his ministry begins to spiral down to the point that he is rejected, even to the point of being crucified, being put on a cross. And so I think that this is a tension that is very real for us. We see in Scripture, wow, we, we, we have a lot of pictures of the kingdom of God being this great thing, this amazing thing. But then we look at the world around us. We see the suffering going on. We see abuse. We see sin, homelessness, addiction, abortion, discrimination, sexual immorality, war, sickness, abuse of power and authority. In our own lives, we see the power that sin so many times has upon us. Oftentimes, sin seems to be dominating us. Sickness, weakness, aging, those seem to be things that remind us of 
or, or make us sometimes wonder what, what's going on with this, with this kingdom that God promised. What is going on? But again, this should not be surprising to us because that's what Jesus taught in his parable. That's what Jesus taught in his sermon. So the main point that, that I want us to see in this passage is that the kingdom of God will be met with skepticism and with opposition. Nonetheless, we should be bold and wise. The kingdom of God will be met with skepticism and opposition. Nonetheless, we must be bold and wise. So first we see Jesus being rejected. We encounter skepticism. So Jesus finishes his parables. He goes to his hometown. And just a quick clarification, I think he is going to Nazareth. He's not going to Bethlehem. Even though he was born in Bethlehem, remember that they had to move out of Bethlehem right away because Herod, not this Herod that we see here, but his his father, he wanted to kill Jesus. So they had to flee to Egypt and then when they came back to the land of Israel, they came to Nazareth, where, is, where Joseph and Mary lived. So when, when, when Matthew talks about Jesus' hometown, he's talking about Nazareth. So he went into Nazareth, where he grew up, and he went into the synagogue, and he taught them there. Now, this was, this was common. It was normal for men, for adult men, to go into the synagogue and to teach. In fact, uh, this same story, but told by Luke, tells us that he was actually given a scroll. So he was invited to teach. Um, but his teaching was not very popular. When they heard him speaking, when they heard what he said, when they saw the miracles that he was performing, or when they heard about the miracles... These people that knew Jesus, these people that grew up with Jesus, these people that, that, that were so familiar with him, you would think that they would be the ones to receive him, right? To welcome him and say, oh, wow, Jesus has come back and look at these miracles and look at this teaching. But instead, they take offense at him. Now, this is not your... This is not your everyday offense of like, oh, you know, so-and-so didn't say hi to me or he gave me the evil eye and therefore I'm offended. No, no, no. They were so offended that Luke tells us that they brought him to the edge of a cliff and they wanted to push him off the cliff. This is how offended they were. This was no simple offense. They hated his message. They hated so much his message that they wanted to kill him. Now, again, the, the question that, I, that I'm going to keep asking is, should this be surprising to us? Should we be surprised by this? I mean, on, on one hand, yeah, right? These, these are people's, these are Jesus' uh, uh, family members, and these are Jesus' neighbors, and, and his, you know, the people that he grew up with. But at the same time, it shouldn't be shocking. Remember the words that Jesus himself said? He said, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is in Matthew 10, uh, 34 34 and and forward. And so I want to draw a, a quick implication here. Do not be afraid to offend people. Do not be afraid to offend people. These days, the worst thing that you can do is offend someone. In our society, the worst thing you can do today is offend someone with your message. And now, now I'm not saying that, that we should go on offending people just for the sake of being offensive. But I do think that the culture in which we live has led us to some sort of a lack of boldness in proclaiming the message of the kingdom. The message of the kingdom is not a comfortable message. It's not an easy to digest message. Do you know what is the first word of Jesus' public ministry? He, He doesn't say, God loves you. He says, repent. That is the first recorded word of his ministry. He says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Not to say that he didn't imply that God loves you, but but my point is the message of the kingdom is not a comfortable one. It is a message that people will be offended by because it is a message that calls for repentance. So when preaching the gospel, when living out as a citizen of the kingdom, we should not be afraid to offend people with a message of repentance of sins. That's what John the Baptist preached. He called people to repentance of sin. That's what Jesus preached. He called people to repentance. That's what Peter preached. He called people to repentance. That's what Paul preached. He called people to repentance. That's what all of the apostles preached. He called, they called people to repentance. I don't know what has happened to Christianity today, but we never start our gospel proclamation with repentance. In fact, most of the times we leave it out. So we need to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And now if you are faithful in proclaiming this gospel, know for sure that family members will take offense at you. Know for sure that old friends or or your current friends will be offended. Your coworkers will be offended. Your neighbors will be offended. People who knew you before you came to Christ, they will be offended when they see the change that has happened in your life. But let not... Don't let that discourage you. Remember that the kingdom has a mixed response. Remember that some hear the word and receive it, but some hear the word and reject it. Remember that the weeds grow together with the wheat. And it's not until the end that they are separated. This is to be expected. If you have experienced rejection from your family members, if you have an unbelieving son or daughter, or if your parents are unbelievers, or or if your spouse is is an unbeliever and you have you experience that tension and that rejection do not be discouraged you are in good company jesus was rejected by his own hometown and arguably by his own family at first so the message of the kingdom will also be met with unbelief jesus quotes this line that is recorded in the other gospels as well when they take offense at him jesus says in verse 57 a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own 
household. So these people that should have been the, 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 the most eager ones to receive him, these people that should have been the first ones to receive him, they reject him. And this is a, this is a small example of a larger scale phenomenon in the ministry of Jesus. John tells us that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came to the people of Israel, but the people of Israel rejected Jesus. But yet again, should we be surprised by this? No, this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. This is exactly what Jesus taught that would happen. So we should not be surprised by unbelief. We read that uh, in verse 58, he did not do many mighty works there, many miracles, many signs because of their unbelief. So we shouldn't be surprised at unbelief, but at the same time, we should be wise or to use Jesus' words, we should not throw pearls before the swine. What do I mean by this? Well, the people's unbelief resulted in Jesus not performing many miracles. Now, I don't think that, that it's like, you know, unbelief is Jesus' kryptonite. And it's like, oh, I'm weak. I cannot perform miracles here because you guys are so uh, skeptical. No, of course he can perform miracles anywhere he wants and, and to whoever or for whoever he wants. And he did perform some miracles there. But... Jesus chose not to perform many miracles there because they were not ready to receive it. Multiple times in the Gospels, people ask Jesus for a sign. Multiple times in the Gospels, people come to Jesus, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, show us a sign. And whenever people have that attitude, Jesus actually says, nope, I'm not going to give you a sign. Jesus is a no-nonsense kind of preacher. He is wise. He knows who is ready to receive and who is not ready to receive. Now, uh, this is something that, that came to mind earlier today, but I wonder if part of Jesus not performing mi more miracles in his hometown was out of love for these people because he knew that the more miracles that he performed, the more judgment they would suffer if they did not repent. So Jesus, like I said, Jesus was a no-nonsense preacher. He did not waste his time or his miracles with people that were hardened. And in the same way, we need to be wise. We need wisdom from God. When proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, we need to be bold. We, we, we don't need to be afraid to offend people. But at the same time, we need to know when, when it's time to, to shake the dust of our sandals. When it's time to move on and say, okay, these people are not believing. I've tried. I've prayed for this person. I've, I've done what I'm supposed to do, but they are not ready yet. They are not ready to receive this message. So I'm going to move on. And this is where we need wisdom from God. We need to be uh, uh, dependent on the Spirit and in prayer asking God to lead us. Now, up to this point... We've been identifying ourselves with Jesus and, and you know, eventually we're going to identify, identify ourselves with John. But I think that this is an important question for us. This is something that we need to ask ourselves. What if we are Nazareth? What if we are people's 
What if we are the people from Jesus' hometown? Many of us have grown up with Jesus, as it were. Many of us grew up in a Christian family. Many of us have been in the Christian church for lots of years. And I think that there's a temptation there of taking Jesus for granted. I think there's a temptation there to take offense at his teaching. Maybe at first we look at the Bible and we were, we were so excited by it and we were so excited about Jesus' teaching. But now maybe we've let the world influences, maybe we've let unbelief creep in and maybe now we take offense at some of his teaching. Maybe some of his teaching that is more offensive to our culture today, we, we are tempted to soften it or to, or to shy away from it. Or maybe it's, it's just, you know, our skepticism and, and, and thinking, oh yeah, you know, he performed miracles back in the day, but that, that's just over, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. Whatever it is the case, I think that we need to examine ourselves and ask ourselves, are we the people of Nazareth? Or are we acting like the people of Nazareth? Have we grown accustomed to Jesus? Are we taken offense at his teaching? Are we in unbelief of his power, of his miracles, of his transforming power? When Jesus was writing to the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation, it is striking that the analogy that he uses basically communicates that this people has these people have driven him out of the church because he says, I am at the door. I am knocking at the door if someone lets me in. In other words, this church has gone so far that they've driven Jesus out of the church. And so I think that if we don't want this to happen to us, we need to ask ourselves often, are we like the people of Nazareth? Have we grown accustomed to Jesus? Are we taking offense at his teaching? Are we skeptical about his power, about his miracles? We don't want to be like the church of Laodicea where we have completely driven Jesus out. Or have we grown accustomed to our little inner circle of, of Christians where everyone is nice and polite and we like each other, but when, I, when an outsider comes, we don't want to share the kingdom of God with them. This is basically, this was really why the people of Nazareth took offense. Matthew doesn't focus on this. I don't know, I don't know exactly why, but Luke really, really focuses on this. Jesus was reading from Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I've come to preach the good news to the outcast, to the poor, to the widow. And so they took offense at that. And Jesus tells them in, 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 in less words, sorry, in a lot more words, but he tells them, I'm taking the kingdom from you and I'm giving it to the Gentiles. I'm taking the kingdom of God from you and I'm giving it to the tax collectors and the prostitutes. That's what he tells them later on in the book of Matthew. He gives a couple of parables. He, he tells them the parable of the banquet where this, uh, this host throws a, a party, a banquet, and invites a bunch of people, and no one wants to come, so he invites the outsiders, and they come to the party. And through this parable, Jesus tells them, you guys heard John the Baptist, and you did not believe him, 
But the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they heard John the Baptist and they repented. And therefore, I am taking the kingdom from you and giving it to them. And so are we like the people of Nazareth or like the Pharisees that we don't want to share the kingdom of God with anyone else? All right, so moving on to to John. The kingdom meets persecution as well. Jesus and his kingdom are not only met with skepticism and offense, but the citizens of the kingdom will be persecuted. Now, this seems like a weird transition or even a weird place to put this story here, right? I mean, we're talking about Jesus' parables. We're talking about Jesus being rejected in in, uh, Nazareth. And we, we continue about the ministry of Jesus. So why did Matthew put this teaching, this story, that in fact it's not even chronologically in order, right? John had already been killed. But he brings this story about John here. Well... I think this is this the the death of John is such a such an important such a momentous development in the progress of the kingdom of God. Remember what Jesus has to say about John. Jesus says, "Truly I say to you," in Matthew eleven, he says, "Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is the the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven." is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heavens has suffered violence and the violent have taken it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is an important development because basically this is a transition moment where John, the last prophet of the old testament tradition the last old testament prophet has died and now anyone who is in the kingdom of god is greater than john in other words the death of john the baptist is almost like the door that opens up for the kingdom of god to 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 take off and so this is this is a very important moment in in the history of of the kingdom and the message of the kingdom But as it is often the case in scripture, some of the most important developments of the kingdom are or seem to be upside down. Right? Because John the Baptist has died. There is this great transition, but it's all in the middle of tragedy. It's all in the middle of rejection. Jesus has just been rejected in Nazareth. John the Baptist has just been killed. Jesus' ministry went from public to a little bit more private. So what's going on, right? We would expect the opposite. We would expect, and Jesus went to Nazareth and everyone received him and, and, and the crowds turned to him. And Jesus' ministry became even more public and everyone came to him. But it is the other way around. Now, here, John, uh, Matthew tells us the tells us the story of how John the Baptist is killed. Herod is is uh, is an interesting character. He was a uh, self proclaimed Jew. In fact, he was he was a Sadducee, which is very very ironic, because the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And yet here is Herod, so paranoid, 
his conscience is betraying him that all of a sudden he believes in the resurrection. And he, when he hears about Jesus, when he hears the power and the, and the miracles of Jesus, all of a sudden he believes in the resurrection. And he says, man, this, this is, this, this has got to be John the Baptist who has been risen from the dead. And I want to throw a quick application here. This is obviously, you know, an extremely unlikely scenario. But if you died and Jesus came, would someone say, oh, wow, that's Ben risen from the dead? Oh, wow, that's, uh, that's Tim risen from the dead. That's, uh, that's Carrie risen from the dead. Or to put it another way, in a way more realistic way, when people see your life, when people hear your message, when people spend some time with you, do they see the power of the resurrected Jesus in you? When people spend time around you, when they hear what you have to say, do they correlate your life and your message with the message of Jesus? With John, yeah, definitely, that was the case. John really understood what he was doing. When, when people came to John and asked him, hey, aren't you upset that Jesus is, and his disciples are baptizing people? Aren't you upset that, that they, they took away your, your job? His response is, no, I must decrease and he must increase. Is that our response as well? Do we understand our job as well? Our job is not to, my job is not to proclaim the kingdom of Ben. My job is to proclaim the kingdom of God. My job is not to point people to me and say, look at me, look at how great I am. No, my job is to point people to Jesus. My job is to decrease so that Jesus would increase in my own life to the point that my life and the life of Jesus would be immediately connected that people would see my life would see your life and say wow that is jesus resurrected that is the power of the resurrection in this person so matthew tells us what happened to john from his account um we learn from this account we learn more about the kingdom john came to the people of israel in the way of righteousness he was preaching repentance he was bold in his preaching he did not shy away from preaching righteousness even to someone of such a rank as Herod. His teaching was in line with Jesus' teaching. If a man divorces his wife and marries another woman, he commits adultery. John denounced Herod as an adulterer. And not only as an adulterer, but he, he denounced it as someone who was committing incest because it was, not, it was his brother's wife that he had married. So this situation, if you have time, I encourage you to look up the, the Herod uh, family tree. It's going to give you a headache because there's so much intermarriage and, and so much crazy stuff going on. But this whole situation is very sticky. But John is very bold in his proclamation of righteousness, in his proclamation of the gospel. He is not afraid to offend Herod. He is not afraid to confront Herod, someone of such high standing. In our culture today, the worst thing that you can do today is to denounce someone's sin. The worst thing you can do today in our culture is to speak out against someone else's reality. 
right? Today, you have to respect. This is my reality. That's your reality. You don't mess with mine. I don't mess with yours, right? Now, you know, some of us might be thinking of more extreme examples where, like, maybe someone someone in their reality, they, they believe that they are a woman instead of a man or something like that. But even though those are examples of that, I think that this mentality has crept into the church as well. The Word of God calls us to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have a clear command in Scripture to exhort one another every day so that we are not hardened by our sin. Yet the worst thing that you can do today in church is to call someone else out on their sin. That will, if you're a leader, that will get the person to leave the church. If you're, if you are a, a, a member of the church, that will cause a, a major issue in the church. Just for following one command in scripture to exhort one another as long as it is called today. But again, if we are citizens of the kingdom of God, we, we need to look at John's example. We need to look at Jesus' example and do not, and not shy away from those things. Not being afraid from offending people, from uh, confronting people about their sin. Now, I do want to make a, a, a clarification here. John is speaking to Herod. Herod uh, claimed to be a Jew, right? So this is a, a Jew speaking to a Jew, speaking about Jewish law. Now, Herod also, or, or sorry, John also knew Herod personally. So it's not like John was going on Twitter and saying, Herod and his wife and everyone else who practices adultery is going to hell. Right? So I'm not saying, hey, go on Twitter or Facebook and say all homosexuals are going to go to hell and then go back and say, okay, I've done my good deed for the kingdom of God. I've done my contribution for the kingdom of God. Let's move on. No. Remember, Jesus was wise. John was wise. They knew who they were talking to. They knew how to approach whoever it was that they were talking to. And so in this case, John is approaching Herod personally, and he is exhorting him personally about his sin. So again, we need wisdom from God. We need, we need guidance. We need to think about who is it that we're dealing with and act accordingly. All right, well, we don't... You guys usually finish around this time, right? 11.45? Okay, so we, I'm not going to uh, dive into the full story. I think the story is very self-explanatory of what happened to John and of Herod and his family's terrible character. I do want to quote something from, from uh, James Montgomery Boyce and then just a quick last application and we're done. James Montgomery Boyce says, John's fate reminds us of the, of the kind of world in which we live. It is a world that has rejected Jesus and will reject his best disciples too. The world does not want us Sorry, the world does not want to be told that it is sinful, that it has broken the holy law of God, that it needs a savior who is Jesus. But those who walk in the footsteps of John and the other saints who have preceded us will be as bold as these men were. How are any to be saved if we do not speak the truth about sin and preach the gospel boldly? 
How are people going to be saved if all we care about is about not offending people? That's not going to save anyone. That's going to make us a lot of friends, but that's not going to save them. It's only the preaching, the, the, the unashamed preaching of the gospel, a gospel of repentance, a gospel of salvation through the death of Jesus Christ that is going to be, that is going to save people. And that's what I want to finish with. Ultimately, when we experience rejection for the kingdom of God, we need to remember that the one they are rejecting is Jesus, not us. We need to remember that, th- that Jesus is the one that people are, are offended at. He is the one, but he is also the one that even though they rejected him, even though they killed John, even though they didn't even give him time to mourn the death of John, he went on and fed the crowds. He went on and continued preaching the kingdom. He went even to the point of death on the cross to die for us, to forgive us for our sins. Jesus is the one who welcomed sinners into his kingdom, who welcomed repentant sinners into his kingdom. And remember the message that John preached? John said, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus died to pay for our sin. When we see setbacks or, or apparent setbacks in the kingdom of God, we should remember that those things were expected. And the greatest example of that is the death of Jesus. I mean, the, the greatest time in the history of the kingdom of God it's also the darkest time in history. The death of Jesus. What a terrible apparent setback to the kingdom of God. How is this kingdom even going to work out if, if the king is dead? But this is how the kingdom of God works. It is an upside down kingdom. It was through his death that Jesus defeated his enemies. It was through his death that Jesus forgave our sins. It was through his death that afterwards he was resurrected and received his crown. And he is now seated at the right hand of God and he is ruling. So as we experience setbacks in the kingdom of God, may we remember the the rejection that Jesus experienced. May, May we remember the death of John. And instead of, instead of being scared and instead of uh, feeling defeated, we should be bold in proclaiming the gospel. We should be bold in proclaiming repentance. And we should be wise in knowing how to address different people. Let's pray. God, we thank you. And we praise you, God. You are so good to us. You sent your son Jesus to die for us. And many of us have rejected him. And yet, in your mercy, Lord, you you reached out to us. You came to us and you saved us. Give us boldness to proclaim your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.